Dear listener, we hope that you've been enjoying the variety of podcasts that we have on our network. Now is your opportunity to help us by telling us a little more about you. Please visit jcastnetwork.org survey and complete our listener survey so that we can learn more about you and your listening habits. Again, please visit jcastnetwork.org survey. Thanks so much. You are listening to Sermons with Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Let's go to one of our great friends, uh, and I've known David for some time, and really, uh, he is outstanding. I often turn to him for a guidance, and uh, that's why I have the life that I have. Today. You do? Yeah. Rabbi David Seth Kirshner, Senior Rabbi of Temple Emanuel, close to New Jersey, former president of the New York Board of Rabbis. Good morning, Rabbi Kirshner. Good morning, Rabbi Potasnik. Good morning, Deacon. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. So I, I look at various newspapers, the, uh, you know, the ones that uh, contain a lot of articles about the condition of the Jewish community in every paper. Uh, talks about intermarriage in the front pages. This is the issue of our time. I remember years ago, David... Just frame it for... for the, yeah, intermarriage being uh, a, a union between a Jew and a non-Jew. Uh, we'll talk about what the ramifications are of such a union. But, David, I remember years ago that we had a program on TV called Bridget Loves Bernie, mm-hmm. right? And there was a protest about the program. They said, oh, by having a program on intermarriage, uh, you're promoting it. You're, you're somehow condoning intermarriage. And um, the thinking was, well, if we only remove the program, intermarriage would, you know, would decline. <laughs> so what happened after a, while, <laughs> yeah, after a while? Uh, Bernard loves Bridgie. Uh, Bridget was not on the air anymore. And the intermarriage continued to grow. Um, you know, we live in America. Uh, we tell our kids you can grow up and be anybody you want to be. And uh, some interpret that as I can I can marry whom I want. There's no there's no barrier any anymore. We're not living in a shtetl. We're not living in a ghetto. Um, but look at the numbers, David. It's it's a very very serious issue that has uh, dire consequences for us. It, it does indeed. And you know, an important nuance that I have to just uh, add in there is that there is a, a significant qualitative difference between someone who is marrying someone of a different faith, I mean, a Jewish person marrying someone of a different faith versus someone who converts to Judaism. Mm-hmm. In our tradition, someone who converts to Judaism is seen as fully Jewish. That's not considered to be an interfaith uh, marriage. You know, th- this is a, a really um, nuanced, precise topic. And it, I always uh, say it, it's the difference in talking about this topic between a butcher and a surgeon. And in this case, it's probably even microsurgery. Because you, you have... And, and I, I think you know this about us and people who are part of our congregation know we have taken on a full approach in the last, uh, I'd say, two and a half years of welcoming interfaith families so that they can be part of celebrations, their children can have bar and bat mitzvahs here, they can take part in ritual that is permissible according to the elasticity of Jewish law, like reading a prayer in English or opening the ark, but some things in which we don't uh, permit. But at the same time, how do we demonstrate a behavior, a value of welcomeness, of openness, of embrace, while at the same time drawing a line that says this is where we, you know, welcome this process, and this is where you have your choice to marry who you want, but we as clergy, we being from our synagogue, the conservative movement, uh, will not condone it or officiate at it. And that's a hard line for people to understand and balance. Look, I remember 
Well, the words of Churchill, I didn't become Prime Minister of England to oversee the dissolution of the British Empire. And I think for many of us, we recognize that when there's an intermarriage without conversion, uh, without a willingness to uh, to have a faith, uh, it, it means for us, you know, it could be the end of the line. Um, and when you're a minority people... I want to say, talk about how many Jews are there in the world? <sighs> oh, what about do we have, 12, Dave? 13 million. Yeah, right. we used to have 14 million, and, you know, for, if the Holocaust didn't occur... We would have had 50 to 60 million people. Okay, right, right. Um, but here we are, a minority, one-tenth of one percent of the world's population. So every intermarriage uh, means something for us. And I think the Christians need to hear that, like, because we're listening, because I know there are some Christians scratching their heads, because we have interfaith marriages all the time, but there are a billion-plus Christians, a billion-plus. You're talking about yeah. 12 million. And, and, and there are a billion-plus potential Jews out there, David. That, that, I like the way you're thinking. <laughs> I like the way you're thinking. You know... David, one of the things that you've been uh, very strong with is is talking about uh, being proactive in this area. For example, I know you take many trips to Israel. Uh, you're very involved in, in birthright, uh, in summer Jewish summer camping, in Jewish education. And I think we as leaders, we have a responsibility to see to it that resources really are directed to those causes first. I mean, we can talk about victimhood, we can talk about anti-Semitism, but you know, we're not going to draw more kids to the Jewish world by talking about being victims of hatred. That's not an attractive reason to join the Jewish people. That's right. Well, well two things that are, are, are noteworthy here. One, we, in essence, are the victims of our own success. If you dial back the years 50, 80, 100 years ago, uh, Jews were very limited in what they could have access to in this country. There were many schools that didn't permit uh, Jewish people to attend. There are many professional schools, medical and law schools, that didn't permit Jews to attend. There were hospitals that didn't allow Jews to work there, which was the advent of these uh, Jewish hospitals that were geared for, rab- for rabbis, for Jewish people to work at. And then they grew in their prominence and uh, became part of mainstream um, culture, society, and communities. And the same thing happened with country clubs. They wouldn't allow Jews to join country clubs, so we built our own country clubs. And then they became fantastic, and people wanted to be a part of it. If you ever wanted to take note of the fact of arrival of the Jewish people, just think about this component for one minute. Uh, Joe Biden, who was vice president of the United States, has a Jewish Mm son-in-law. And whoever were were to have won the presidency in 2016 would have a Jewish son-in-law, meaning the phenomenon of Jews being part of a culture is something embraced and welcomed that I wonder if in the days of Eisenhower, if the days of Kennedy, the days of of Nixon even, that would have been something celebrated the same. So in essence, we are the victims of our own success, that we have become part of culture and society in such a significant way that there's very little distinction made between Jews and other groups of society, and that's something to celebrate. The challenge then becomes, well, how do we draw this distinction when it comes to creating family? And what you hit on, Joe, were the three magical ingredients that increase the odds exponentially of people marrying other Jewish people, Jewish people marrying Jewish people, and having Jewish lives. And that is traditions and customs at home, like lighting the Shabbat candles and having celebratory dinners on festive holidays. It includes serious Jewish education, which of course includes Jewish camping, and it includes trips to Israel and a connectivity. And the statisticians tell us if we put emphasis on those three things, the likelihood of our children coming out with a stronger Jewish identity grows exponentially. Let me ask you this, and this is where it becomes very painful for us. A couple comes to see you, or the family comes to see you. Rabbi, we've known you for many years. Our son or our daughter has chosen someone of a different faith. 
Conversion at this point is not a possibility. We want you to officiate because you've been our rabbi. You were there for us at all the life cycle celebrations. And you, David, or or I, we have to now say no to that person. It puts, and, and they're saying, wait a minute. You welcomed us all the other times. We were with you all the other times. And you can't be with us now. And you're saying that we're still welcome in your congregation, in your community. This is a critical moment for us. Why can't you, you know, be there with us and for us? This is where it hurts. It does hurt, but again, this is a place where one must uh, perform as a surgeon and not the butcher. And what we have to do in each of these cases is we have to be empathetic, understanding, embracing. In our synagogue, we've created a ritual that is not an, what's called an ufraf, which is a customary uh, ascending to the Torah before one's wedding, but we've created a ceremony where towards the end of our service at the Aleinu prayer, we open the ark for interfaith couples. Uh, we wish them well and blessing in their union together. We give them a mezuzah to hang in their home, and we hope that this is the first step in a pathway towards not only creating a Jewish home, but creating uh, a unified Jewish home for both uh, of the partners in the loving relationship. So that's something that just has to be done very, very delicately. The other thing that's worthy of noting is, is yes, it's very hard sometimes to say no. But each time you say no to one thing, you're inherently saying yes to another. And what I'm saying yes to in that process is my belief in our tradition and our peoplehood and our understanding. And my no is not a no to them that I don't love them, that I don't appreciate them, that they aren't part of my community or family, or I don't empathize with any of the struggles they're going through. It's a no that I cannot officiate at their wedding ceremony. And in essence, it's really a way of respecting the partner that's choosing not to convert. If they are making that choice, I respect it and I choose that they choose that, but I want them to also understand that Inherently, in them making that choice, I have to make a choice as well. We're speaking with Rabbi David Seth Kirshner. He's the senior rabbi at Temple Emmanuel in uh, Colster, New Jersey. Um, rabbi, this is such a heart-wrenching uh, pastoral discussion. It really is. And, and anybody who's worked with people and, and know the, the uh, tension between the uh, objectivity of the tradition and the subjectivity of the people who, who live that tradition, um, they have to realize that this is not easily done. In my own tradition, there's, a, there's two schools of, of, of thought. One, I think, is represented by the Holy Father right now, and uh, that, that uh, here comes everybody. You know, we tease about that, that, that phrase here in the show, but it's, um, it's an idea that the tent is very large, there's a lot of room in there, and, and the idea is that the church has a responsibility to reach out. There are also a significant number of leaders in the church, archbishops in major sees in, in America as well as cardinals, who believe that it's time to re-entrench and to, and to, to hold back and to, to make ourselves smaller. And this is the idea. The idea being uh, better that we be um, uh, more intensely, uh, more concentrated in what we believe instead of diluted in the others. There's a recent book out called The Benedict Option that kind of plays with this idea. When we look at, I remember when I was in the seminary, the, the difference between dogmatic and pastoral theology, one is what we, we, we say we believe and one is what we actually do. And they shouldn't be contradictory, but sometimes they are. Do you, as a, as a conservative rabbi, run the risk of losing these people rather than them seeing, wow, how great it is that our rabbi respects who we are and works with them, but rather them saying, well, maybe we have to find some place that will include us, that will allow me to be a Jew, my husband to be a, a, a Christian, that, that we need to find a place where both could be celebrated? Uh, I, I think you just dialed in, uh, Deacon, to exactly what the issues are in the Jewish world. I know you were describing some of them in the Christian world, but they're, they're spot on for what we're dealing with. And yes, that is 
um, that is the natural byproduct. And, and to, to even underscore that a little bit more is that there are denominations, just like in Christianity, there are in Judaism. And today, people feel less and less affiliated to a particular denomination of Judaism and more connected to either a clergy member, a community member, a location of the synagogue. So if they knock on one door and one rabbi says no, they can go down the street to another one who says yes. And that even makes it more problematic, um, because I think that exacerbates the issue of who's welcome and who's not under which standards, because we're all creating different portals of entry, and that's a problem. Um, I think this is a place where being a pastor is required, Mm -hmm. where love, compassion, understanding, thoughtfulness, communication matters. The other thing that I think is of critical importance is that this is a a topic that will inevitably rear its head within marriage. I'm married to someone who was born Jewish, and we, you know, discuss and sometimes go through turbulent issues that have to do with our expression of religion, sometimes to the right, sometimes to the left, it doesn't matter. But religion is a significant thing that comes up in the household, and religion is unique because it's inherently self. What we say and what we feel and how we express ourselves religiously is an amalgam of how we were raised and what our personal beliefs are. And when someone else comes in and tells us how we're supposed to believe, just because that's the way they were born or raised, it's a very jarring experience. So this is a case that needs very surgical hands, very empathetic hearts, very listening ears, and our challenge is indeed saying, how do we create this line that says, we won't officiate at this marriage, but at the same time, we will indeed welcome you into our community, and that is a difficult tightrope to walk. We also have a, an illusion that Judeo-Christian is the same thing. Yeah. And, and Claire, as you point out, Rabbi, in, in a household... Is, is, is Jesus a really good teacher or is he the Messiah? <laughs> you know, like you can't, there's no, there's no, you, there's no Hanukkah bush here but, <laughs> to solve that. But Deacon, just to make it, you know, uh, looking at it through your perspective, if a couple comes to you, the understanding is they're going to raise their kids as Catholics, right? Right. If they said to you, uh, religion doesn't matter to us, but we know you're deacon, you're a friend of the family, but we have no intention of raising our kids as Catholics. You have a problem with that? I, I, I do. Realistically, they wouldn't tell me that. Right. But, right. If they wanted but if they like, knew... If they knew it, if they said it, I would have to say, i got to step back. Then, it, right. then it's a sham. Yeah. Look, I think the word no is a painful one at times, but whether we're parents, whether we're spiritual leaders, uh, leaders, uh, we have to say no. But it's, uh, David, as you pointed out so well today, it's how we say no. Uh, it's what, what, what is the sentence after you say no? Uh, it's also, Joe, sorry to interrupt you, it's not only when we say no, but inherently that no is a yes to something else. Yeah. And we can't ignore that component. Right? It, it's, it's the people who are now saying yes to intermarriage, which I give them respect. I don't agree with that decision, but I understand where they're coming from yeah. and I respect them. They're inherently now saying no to that part of the tradition. They're saying no to their colleagues who are creating different definitions of who's welcome into the fold. And where we really, the rubber hits the road on this is when people knock on the door and they want to be part of our tradition or a generation from now, their son falls in love with my daughter and one is a, you know, was a product of an intermarriage and one isn't. And we create diversion of who is a Jew and how do we identify yeah. as a Jew. And that's uh, we really problematic. Go now. Rabbi David Seth Kirshner, thanks so much, and thanks for that uh, being with us at the great celebration of the New York Board of Rabbis uh, oh, this past week. That was, a, that, one of, that was beyond. That yeah, was an incredible yeah, thing. A great Speaking moment. about commonality, there we all were together, yeah, honoring yeah, our yeah. cardinal. Who in was one incredible. room, different, yeah. and in, yet in the same room together. So bottom line, my daughters are off limits for you guys. Uh, well, no, no, with a slight change. You know, gotta, we got uh, to talk. <laughs> all right, thanks so much. My pleasure.